Tonight, as we continue our study of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, we are entering actually the last passage of chapter 10. We'll not finish it tonight, but we're entering it where Paul will actually conclude his treatment of what began in chapter 8 concerning Christian liberty issues. Here's what Paul writes, starting with verse 23 of chapter 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that's sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Now, as you recall, the Corinthian church had a major problem on their hands over whether or not it was okay to eat food that had previously been sacrificed to an idol, a false deity. And it was a problem because it divided the church, and it divided them into two camps. One camp thinking it was fine to eat this food, since they knew, they knew theologically that an idol was nothing, just something made up in the minds of people. They had no problem eating anything that was put before them. But the other camp felt that it was absolutely wrong to eat this food because it represented their old pagan way of life before they were converted, which was what? Idol worship. So for them to eat this food, it made them feel as if they were backsliding, that they were going back into idolatry and their conscience just would not allow it. Conscience condemned them. So here's what the issue boiled down to. You had a divided church over something that really was a major issue. Why? Because eating food is such an important part of our social settings. It's such an important part of Christian fellowship. So this created a serious division in the church. Who could you eat with? Who wouldn't you eat with? Why would you have this person over, that person over? It was a major problem in the Corinthian assembly. Therefore, they looked to the apostle Paul, because he was an apostle, to solve this dilemma since they needed guidance on what to do. They needed divine guidance on what to do. And the challenge with all of these issues that come under the category of liberty is that there's just no specific scripture that one can turn to for a definitive answer. In other words, there's nothing in the Bible, there's no chapter, no verse that one could point to and say something like, uh, thou shalt not eat food, sacrifice to an idol. Or you're commanded to eat food, sacrifice to an idol. There's nothing like that in Scripture, nor is there anything of a definitive nature concerning any liberty issue. So what did Paul do? How could the apostle give them guidance when there's no specific Scripture about the matter? Well, what the apostle does, starting with chapter 8, is he gives them principles. Timeless principles about loving one another, 
about sacrificing for one another, about giving up their rights for one another, about not violating anybody's conscience, things of that nature. Those things were very clear in Scripture, and that's what Paul taught. However, when the Apostle comes to chapter 10, specifically verse 14, he stops giving them general principles, and he turns to a definite command. The command is to flee idolatry, run away from it. Don't go near it. Do not get involved with idolatry. And for the next few verses that, that followed this command, Paul makes it very clear that while eating food sacrificed to an idol was certainly permissible, if their conscience was all right with it, it was permissible, going to the temple of an idol and participating in an idolatrous pagan feast was not all right. It was sin. That's what he's talking about when he says flee idolatry. Do not go to a pagan temple, sit down there and think that you can eat the food sacrificed to an idol while joining in their worship of this false deity and think it's all right. It's not all right. Flee it. It's forbidden. It's wrong. It's sinful. And then Paul, having said that, lists several reasons why it was so wrong, which we studied last time we looked at this passage. So Paul has made it abundantly clear that no Christian was to go to the temple of an idol. He was not to join in a feast of idolatry while eating meat sacrificed to that idol. That was absolutely forbidden. However, listen closely because what I'm about to tell you is the key to understanding what Paul is about to say in this concluding chapter. What the Apostle has not addressed is a situation where one of the unbelievers in Corinth invites you, let's say you're a member of the church, he invites you to his home and he serves you food sacrificed to an idol and though you personally don't have any problem eating this food, there is another Christian there from your church who's also been invited to this home and he does have a problem with it. He has a very serious problem eating food that has been sacrificed to an idol. So what in the world are you supposed to do? Well, that's the situation that Paul addresses in the closing verses of 1 Corinthians 10. And this is the closing passage about liberty issues. And I want to show you that this is indeed what Paul is talking about. If you look at verse 27 and 28, just jump down a little bit. We're not going to get to these verses exactly tonight, but I want you to see that this is where he's going. This is the situation. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that's set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. So he's talking about if you're invited to someone's home. He's already said it's forbidden for you to go to a pagan temple and be involved in an idolatrous feast. But he has not until this point addressed what if you're at somebody's home and they serve you food sacrificed to an idol. What are you supposed to do? So let me set the scene for you that Paul's writing about by quoting from Chuck Swindoll as he explains exactly the situation that the Christians at Corinth were facing and what Paul was dealing with as he gives them guidance in this passage on how to handle such a situation. Swindoll writes this. He said, imagine this. You're an active member of the church at Corinth. Very involved, very respected. You've been invited to a patio party by Rufus and Julia, a non-Christian couple who own the R&J 
chariot shop on Coliseum Way. It gets better. <laughs> they have also invited a young man named Erastus, who, unknown to them, has recently come to know the Lord and become a member of the church you attend. You all sit down, and the meal is served, enjoying your, and this is where it gets better, your Caesar salad. You see, it's the first century. I, I think he intended that to be funny. Enjoying your Caesar salad, you look across the table and see a familiar face, Erastus, the new believer, who's begun attending your Sunday school class. You smile and chat a little. Then your attention is diverted by a delicious-smelling entree, sirloin steak, delicately seasoned and cooked to perfection. Just as you're reaching for your fork, Erastus leans over to you and whispers, I just heard the cooks talking about how they were glad so much meat was left over from the sacrifice. You know, that bothers me because I was involved in idol worship for a long time. I just don't feel right about eating this meat. What do you do, Swindoll says? Mustering all the resistance you have, you leave the meat on your plate and politely say, please pass the grapes, rolls, broccoli. You skip the meat because an issue was made. Now, let me try to, to help you to see how relevant all of this is, lest you think that, well, look, we don't have that same issue today. It's not part of our culture. We don't, we don't have a problem with eating food sacrificed to an idol. We don't have food sacrificed to an idol. And you're right. Nonetheless, this is very relevant. So let me tell you, in principle, we face really the same issue. Only instead of food, the question we face is whether or not when you're invited to someone's house and they offer you an alcoholic beverage, should you drink it? Now you may say, I have no problem drinking a glass of wine. I have no problem drinking a glass or a can of beer or a bottle of beer. However, what if another Christian has been invited to this person's house and they do have a problem with drinking alcohol because they used to be an alcoholic and they are looking at you to see what you are going to do. Perhaps they're even a new believer like Erastus. You're a mature believer. You've been saved for many years. What, what are you going to do? Folks, this is relevant. This is very relevant. That's the kind of situation that the Corinthians found themselves in, only it wasn't about alcohol, it was about meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. You've been invited to someone's house where there are other Christians who have a problem eating this meat, that's what they were dealing with, though you don't, what should you do? Well, that's what Paul addresses as he winds down the subject, the topic of liberty issues. And what the apostle does is he gives several guidelines for how to use your Christian liberty the first guideline is this. We're going to look at two tonight. First guideline is this. Use your liberty if it is spiritually beneficial to you and others. Use your liberty if it is spiritually beneficial to you and others. So we break in at verse 23. Just the first few words. Paul says, all things are lawful. Now the apostle begins with those words. All things are lawful. Which, if we are not careful, can very easily be misinterpreted, misunderstood, misapplied. Now this isn't the first time that Paul has used these words in writing to the Corinthians. He said actually the same thing back in chapter 6, which would seem to indicate that this may very well have been a slogan used by the Corinthians, and Paul is bringing it up and using it to his advantage because these folks were familiar with this. However, what the Corinthians meant by these words, all things are lawful, and what Paul means 
by these words, all things are lawful, are not the same thing. No doubt when the Corinthians said all things were lawful for them, they meant that now that they were Christians, they could do pretty much anything they wanted to do since God forgives all sin. They're absolutely wrong. Not wrong about God forgiving all sin, but wrong that a, that a Christian is permitted now that he's saved to do anything they want to do. That's like saying I have a license to sin. Regardless of how merciful God is, regardless of how gracious He is, we don't have a license to do all things. Certain behavior and attitudes are clearly forbidden in Scripture. They're not up for debate. They're not permissible at all. They're non-negotiable. It's, it's always wrong, for example, to be immoral. There's never a time that you're permitted to fall into immorality. It's always wrong to lie. It's always wrong to be jealous. always wrong to be covetous. There are certain things that are always wrong, and the Bible tells us that. Therefore, what God forbids is not lawful. It's not permissible, regardless of what the Corinthians might have thought about this. So, if that's the case, then, then what does Paul mean when he writes all things are lawful? Well, he certainly doesn't mean all things in an absolute sense. We know that because that would contradict Scripture, would contradict his very own writings. You see, the all things that he's referring to are, in context... Liberty issues, all things that Scripture neither forbids or commands. These are non-moral issues, just as eating food sacrificed to an idol or in our day, in our day drinking an alcoholic beverage. When it comes to any liberty issue, Paul says that they are all lawful, so that when it comes to a practice that Scripture does not address, it's all right to do it. It's lawful, Paul says. It's permissible. It's allowable because it is not sinful. Not in and of itself. But just because, and note this, just because something is not sinful in and of itself, just because something is allowed by God, just because something is not inherently, intrinsically wrong, doesn't mean that you should necessarily do it. Notice the guideline Paul gives for all liberty issues as we look at the rest of verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Now Paul says that though all liberty matters are lawful and therefore not forbidden by God, not all liberty issues are profitable or edifying. So what does the apostle mean by this? Because this is, critically, this is a critically important truth that will help you determine if you should do something or refrain from doing something. That's the point of this. These are guidelines. Well, first of all, the word profitable essentially means beneficial. It means useful. It means helpful. And the word edify means to build up in the sense of spiritual growth, maturity, advancement, progress. So what the apostle is saying then is that when you are faced, and we're all faced with these type of issues, faced with having to make a decision about whether or not you're going to engage in any activity, there are two questions you need to ask yourself. Question number one, is this activity allowable by God? Meaning, is this a liberty issue? Or is it something forbidden? by the Word of God. If it's forbidden by God, then you don't need to go any further. You don't need to consider it. Just don't do it. However, if it is a liberty issue, then you need to ask yourself a second question, which is, by doing this activity, will this be profitable for my spiritual life and the spiritual life of others? 
Will this activity help me to grow spiritually? Will it help others to grow spiritually? Now keep in mind, what Paul is referring to is a situation where a believer is in someone else's home. So he's, this person is in a bit of a public setting. Paul isn't talking about a private setting where you're alone. There are other believers there too. And food that has been offered to an idol is being served. So he's talking about a public setting. The food may smell delicious. The believer may have no problem in his conscience eating this food. And he may be extremely hungry. He may be very eager to dig in to this great piece of meat. However, what he needs to consider is whether or not eating this food would help him and other believers at the table in their spiritual lives. Now you may wonder, how would eating this food possibly be beneficial or not beneficial to anyone's spiritual life? After all, it's just a piece of meat. Well, that's true, but if this Christian knows that his brother or sister in Christ sitting at the same table across from him would be bothered by eating the meat, if he knew they would be bothered by it in their conscience, then it would not be beneficial or edifying for him to eat this. It would be a very unloving thing, and it would not be beneficial for his brother or sister in Christ to eat the meat because it would, it would harm them spiritually because their conscience would be bothered, or they'd be bothered because you have set a poor example for them. And once again, to put in our context of consuming an alcoholic beverage, if you're with a fellow believer who would be deeply bothered by you taking a drink of wine or beer then to do so would be detrimental to your walk with the Lord and the other believers walk with the Lord because it would be unloving of you. And if you start doing unloving things, it'll just spiral out of control. You'll have the attitude, well, I don't care. I'm the only one that matters. I have a right to do this. That's not good for your spiritual life. And it would certainly negatively impact the faith of your brother in Christ who might think, well, you're a mature believer, so I'll follow what you have done, and their conscience is deeply bothered by this, and it starts a downward spiral where they disobey God on other matters. You see, folks, what Paul is telling us to do is to think beyond our immediate gratification. That's not always easy for us. He's telling us to think of the spiritual ramifications of our actions. He's telling us to use wisdom in making a decision about any liberty issue. If doing something that would not be spiritually beneficial for you or for another Christian, then the answer is just don't do it. Don't do it. Even though it is lawful before God, don't do it. But having addressed the issue of how a liberty issue affects you as a Christian and any other Christian, Paul now gives us a second guideline about the use of our liberty, which is this. Use your liberty for the good of others. This may sound very similar to what we've just said, but let me explain. It is a little broader than that. Verse 24, Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Now the apostle tells us that when it comes to deciding if we should participate in a liberty issue, the issue isn't about what we would like to do, but rather what would be in the best interest of our neighbor. Now watch this. By neighbor, Paul's referring to anyone now. He's broadening it. This goes beyond the believer. Your neighbor is anyone, believer or unbeliever, anybody you have contact with. In other words, we would say our fellow man. That's the thought here. He's not talking about someone who lives next door to you. Our fellow man. 
In verse 32, Paul will explain that this is what he's referring to when he writes this. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So he's, he's thinking beyond believers. He's talking about our fellow human beings. In other words, if you know that your actions could offend an unbeliever or a believer, then don't do it, even if it's lawful for you to do this particular activity. So, for example, if I was having lunch with someone who is either a devout Muslim or an Orthodox Jew, I wouldn't order a pork sandwich, simply because that would be offensive to both these men. Do I have the liberty to eat pork? Absolutely. In fact, sweet and sour pork is one of my favorite meals. But to eat such a dish in front of someone whose religion forbids them from eating this would not be in their best interests and would not be the loving thing to do. In fact, it would be harmful to them because it would hurt my testimony for Christ so that they wouldn't be interested in hearing anything I had to say about Jesus. They would just shut me off. They'd turn me off. I couldn't say anything more because I've been so insensitive and so offensive to them. Listen, whenever you are considering any liberty issue, you have to think about other people and not just what you want to do. This is a biblical principle that is emphasized in the New Testament. We put others ahead of ourselves. For example, Paul wrote this in Romans 15 verse 2. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, Paul tells us here that life does not revolve around us. I hope you know that. Life doesn't revolve around us and our interests. We are to put the interests of others ahead of our own interests. So how do we do this? How does this work in real life? Well, Paul tells us how this works in real life in the next few verses because he uses Jesus as the perfect example. Verses 5 through 7. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. This is very similar to the song we just sang, about may the mind of Christ my Savior, this is the mind of Christ your Savior. What Paul is saying is Jesus is the perfect example of putting the interest of others ahead of his own interests. Though Jesus is God, full deity, when he became a man, he did not stop being God, but it meant simply this, that he gave up his rights, he gave up his honors, he gave up his privileges as God, not God, but the rights, privileges, honors as God. Instead of holding on to these rights, instead of grasping them, these honors, these privileges, and not letting go, he let go. He sacrificed them in order to serve our best interest by going to the cross for our sins. That's what Paul is talking about. He said that's the example. Listen, if you're going to honor the Lord in the use of your liberty, then you have to be willing to give up something for the sake of others if you're put in a situation. You have to do that. Something you may very well enjoy. 
Like, for example, drinking a glass of wine. Like going to see a certain movie that someone else would be offended by. Like eating your favorite food that would be insulting to someone else of a different religion. Over the years, Michelle and I have had the privilege of traveling and ministering in quite a few different countries. And when we've done that, we've tried to be very sensitive to the people that we're ministering to because some of the things that we have no trouble with, they might. In fact, they do. I can think of several times where Michelle in particular has given up something for the sake of others. In Italy, for example, there have been times when Michelle has put away her jewelry because some of the Italians that we minister to would think that jewelry, especially multiple earrings, was worldly. So she just put them away. Also in Italy, when we have ministered in certain churches where head coverings for women are expected, she's put one of them on. And I remember in India, Michelle decided to give up her Western outfit in order to wear a traditional Indian outfit for women known as a sari. And she did this because she felt like this would help her to communicate to the women she was ministering to. It would help her to show them love, to show them respect, respect for their culture, their way of life. So if you want to know whether to use your liberty or not, you just have to consider what is best for others, not yourself. And that often involves giving up something for their sake. In his commentary on 1 Corinthians, John MacArthur wrote this. He said, a pastor friend of mine, after preaching on this passage, had a time of testimony. He asked the congregation to share experiences of giving up something for the sake of someone else. Except for one man who said that he didn't drink or smoke around other Christians, no one responded. After the service, a number of people told the pastor... For the first time in my life, I realized that I don't really give up anything for the sake of others. Folks, that may be true of you as well. You may have never thought about what you need to give up for the sake of someone else. But you do need to think about this. Because this is what the Word of God teaches. You are to seek the good of others, believer or unbeliever, when it comes to making a decision about a liberty issue. Now, there are several other guidelines that we're going to see in, in weeks to come that Paul gives us to help us decide whether to use our liberty or not. And as I said, we'll see these when we pick up this study again. But the basic truth to grab hold of from our study tonight is that when it comes to deciding about a matter of liberty, the primary consideration is not you, it's others. And that's not always easy for us. I understand that. It's not easy for us because our fallen human nature makes us inclined to be self-absorbed, self-centered, so that we tend to think only about ourselves. But the Word of God commands us, not suggests, commands us to put the interests of others first. And you'll only do this when there is submission to Christ as your Lord. See, only when you have surrendered your heart to Christ will you really care about others? Only as you grow in Christ, as you mature in Christ, as the image of Christ being conformed in you, only when that takes place will you put others ahead of yourself because that's the mark of spiritual maturity. And I would say if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then understand this, understand that He cares for you. He, he was willing to give up all of His privileges as God so that sinners like you could be saved. 
And I'll say this again, if you've never placed your trust in Christ for salvation, then do so tonight before it's too late. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for these precious guidelines. Lord, sometimes we never even think about these things. We only think about what we want to do and we don't think about others. But I pray that you'll help each one who is sitting here, each one who might be watching, that we would have a heart and mind, the mind of Christ, to put others first, to care about others because we care about you. We care about our testimony. We care about them listening to the gospel. We care about not hurting them, not insulting them, not offending them. So Lord, I pray that what we've heard tonight, you'll give us insight, wisdom, how to apply it to our lives. And when we are faced with one of these situations, Lord, bring these truths to our minds so that we might apply them. And we might do what the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, tells us to do. We pray for those here or watching or listening who may not know you, Lord, open their hearts that they might see how much you have loved them to give up your rights for the sake of sinners like them. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.